you guys want to open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, we're going to be making our way through 1 Peter, and I'm super excited. I'm, I'm loving. You guys love 1 Peter? Such a good book. Um, so on Sunday that we saw how important it was, God's grace, uh, and how important it was for the area of marriage, and, and uh, especially in marriage, right? And the truth is, it's not a normal thing for us to submit to one another. It's a, it's a really hard thing, and I would say impossible without the Holy Spirit. But there's a mutual uh, submission in the marriage relationship, right? The wife needs God's grace to submit to the headship uh, of, of the husband, and the husband needs to, uh, God's grace to submit to the needs and the desires, you know, of, of his wife to understand her, is the idea. And Ephesians 5.21 uh, and on that whole portion, uh, Philippians 2, 3, and 5, chapter 2, verses 3 and 5, uh, speak more on that area as well. But tonight we're going to be starting the third and final section of First uh, Peter chapter 3, uh, really, or, or dealing with primarily with the grace of God and suffering. Uh, and that's what we're going to go over tonight. Yay, right? Um, so the grace of God in suffering in chapter 3 verses 13 all the way to verse uh, 20, uh, or actually chapter 5 to 14, um, the whole section is dealing with God's grace and suffering. And so we all need God's grace since we all will suffer many things to come as believers. And we'll all go through some kind of suffering, some kind of trial, some kind of hardship or heartache and, and uh, uh, tribulation at some point in our lives. Now this word... <clears throat> This word suffering, um, <clears throat> it's been used, it's used uh, in its various forms nine times in our text tonight. And it carries the idea of pain, affliction, or hardship. And if, you, if you've not experienced this kind of suffering, cheer up, you will. <laughs> it's, it's coming. And, uh, and when it comes, you're going to know, you're going to know what I'm talking about, right? But I'm pretty sure all of us are, are pretty, uh, it looks like we've all been through some suffering in our lives. Right? Um, so let me show you guys a quick outline on this idea of suffering and why I pulled that out today and, and uh, why we're going to look at that area. Look at verse 14. It says, But even if you should suffer for righteous, righteousness' sake, and so notice there, uh, suffer for righteousness' sake. Look, look down at verse 17. It says, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good. Now, look down at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. And, and look at verse chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Drop down to verse 13. It says, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Now look at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. Look at verse 16. If Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, it goes on. And look at verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him. Now look at chapter 5, verse 9. It says, Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brother, and it goes on. And then look at verse 10. It says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, and so you guys get the idea, right? 
It's just boom, 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 boom. It's all over the place. So I'm pretty sure you guys are getting the idea here. This section is clearly dealing with the area of suffering. And in the context, it's dealing with the the suffering church, right? The persecution uh, was uh, arising like crazy in, in their time. And as a result of really their faith in Christ Jesus, right? That's the reason why they were getting persecuted, these believers in Christ. Most of us haven't really experienced this type of uh, persecution here in America. Uh, we've, yes, we've gone through a lot of persecutions and, and, you know, in various forms, but there's a, thousands of other believers out there, even right now, uh, that are laying down their lives and, and get, just literally getting their heads chopped off and just crazy things are happening to them. And, and literally they're getting thrown in prisons. They are, free to leave if they would just deny their faith in Christ Jesus, you know, and and yet they're being an example, being a light onto the world and showing that that relationship is just too real to deny, you know, and and the, the world's watching them, though, and they're coming to Christ because of that persecution. So it's a beautiful thing as well. Um, but I understand that we're, we all go through sufferings, right? Um, emotional, physical, financial. Um, there's a lot of different forms of suffering that we all go through, relationship issues. So uh, we for sure, we can relate in a practical, you know, personal way to Peter, what, what Peter's talking about here. Um, let's, let's just read. First Peter chapter 3, look at verse 13. It says, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience conscious that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, and that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also we went... He went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, um, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So, man, you guys ready to start this study tonight? I'm excited. There's a lot here. Uh, tonight we're going to look at two very, very simple things. Um, ex- the exhortations regarding suffering, number one. That's going to be in verses 13 through 17. And number two, the example of Christ in suffering. And that's going to be in verses 18 all the way down to verse 22. Um, So let's look at this first section. Peter exhorts us regarding uh, suffering in verses 13 to 17. And the first thing Peter exhorts us regarding suffering uh, involves 
Number one, doing good. Notice in verse 13, it says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? So Peter starts off by asking, well, what, a rhetorical question, basically, right? So the answer is obvious. No one will harm you uh, or cause you to suffer if, if the fact... In fact, you're doing what is good. And obviously we suffer even when we do good. But So the thought here is uh, simply, you know, do good is the idea here. And, and the word follow, by the way, uh, mimitas, right? So used seven times in the New Testament. And, and we can speak it right into our English vocabulary, right? Mimic or imitate. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. In Ephesians 5, 1, he says, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. And so that's the same wording right here. And the point is simple. We should be following or imitating those who are doing good, even if we are suffering. Wow. So turn with me to First Peter, or, uh, yeah, First Peter chapter four, um, verse nineteen. Chapter four, verse nineteen. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good, as to a faithful Creator. I love that. I'm going to read that one more time. There we go. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God, notice that's why you're suffering, their souls, uh, commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. In suffering, we commit our souls to doing what is right, not give in to the flesh and fall back in doing what is wrong and fight those who are causing us harm. Um, but we, we submit onto the Lord and we choose to do what is right because we are serving the Lord who is faithful. He's our creator. So clearly we are suffering. Uh, and, and, and when we are suffering, the, the, uh, the idea here is do good, right? So the natural tendency in our life is obviously not to do good. And typically the reason we're suffering is because, well, someone it's it's because of someone else, right? And and what are they're saying or whatever they're doing to us, whatever it may be. But our natural reaction is to retaliate. Amen. Right? That's <laughs> um, but um, that's not what that's not doing good. That's obviously that's doing bad. And and when you choose to do what is good and what you, you choose to do what is right, um, you're less likely to be harmed by authorities and by others is is kind of the idea here um in romans thirteen three, it says for rulers are not a terror to good works but to evil do you want to be unafraid of the authority do what is good and you will have praise from the same so uh friends we're always to do good no matter what we're going through no matter what affliction no matter what pain no matter what suffering we're going through uh paul tells us in galatians chapter 6 verse 9 and let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart therefore as we have opportunity let us do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith. And um, I love that. It's, it's just a good reminder altogether. Let's go to the second thing Peter exhorts us in 
and, and uh, it's being blessed in suffering. Being blessed in suffering, this tonight is just crazy. What are you talking about? Do good when you're suffering, and it's a blessing, and it's, a, well, yes, it is. Um, did you guys know that when you suffer for righteousness' sake, you are actually uh, blessed by God? Isn't that cool? It's, I, I think it's pretty awesome. Um, in fact, look at chapter 5. Look at verse 10. It says, in chapter 5, verse 10, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. I love that. Clearly, there is a benefit uh, to a blessing, I guess you can say, right? Uh, uh, to experience suffering while doing good and living righteously before the Lord. In fact, turn with me to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, go to chapter four. Second Corinthians, chapter four. Family, when we're doing good, when we're doing the right things, uh, there will be a blessing for sure when you are persecuted, when you are suffering for the sake of doing what is right. Second uh, Corinthians, chapter four. Look at verse. 17. It says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us. So it's a benefit for us. It's working for us, right? A far more exceeding and eternal way of glory. Oh, I love that verse. Did you guys know that whatever you're going through, no matter what it is, right, whatever you're experiencing as it pertains to suffering, pain, hardship, um, you know, trials, tribulation, whatever it may be, did you guys know that it's a momentary light affliction? Wow. When you think about it, you're like, really? Well, you might say, I've been dealing with this for 50 years. What are you talking about, man? <laughs> Um, but to God, you know, a thousand years is like a day, right? And and to God, really, he lives outside. He created time, right? So really, it's nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. So when we're in that eternal weight of glory, we're going to look back and be like, I was such a baby. <laughs> it was like, a, you know, it was just there for a second. It was a momentary light affliction. And, I, and here I was thinking that I was going to be stuck in it for all eternity, right? And then we start crying like a baby. You're like, calm down. It's okay. <laughs> We're going through our suffering. And, and uh, it's, it's momentary, the Bible says. In fact, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Uh, go to verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Isn't that great? That's what Paul said right here. What, what you and I are going through, and I know it's a lot, right? I'm not trying to like down what you're going through. I know all of us are going through a whole lot of things. Uh, some of you are not yet. Um, cheer up, you will. <laughs> um, but maybe it's at work or with an employee. Maybe it's with the boss. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's a family issue. Maybe it's financial issue. Maybe it's a physical issue. Um, there's a lot of things that we're going through. But you're, you're going through whatever it is you're going through. It's a light affliction, the Bible says. And uh, compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Right? So what a blessing that is. Turn, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. 
Matthew chapter 5, and I'm excited Pastor Dwight will be teaching um, coming up to this. But um, as Jesus, he's giving the Beatitudes, right, the the blessings, if you will. Um, In Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. So is there a blessing with suffering? Yeah, it's clearly, right? Biblically, the answer, of course, is yes. Um, by the way, isn't this a great Valentine's message, guys? That's, maybe I was just joking with you the whole time. You guys want to, I could give you guys like a fluffy message. You guys want to go over some stuff? No, we'll stay here. Um, I love just going through the word, and I love it how we can, that's what Calvary Chapel is, right? We're, we're just through the word. We're verse by verse. We're chapter by chapter, and and uh, and we just want to hear the word of God. We want to study the word, and, uh, and I'm so thankful for the Lord and his word. And what he's doing here in our, our church is so cool. Let's come to the third thing Peter exhorts us in regarding suffering. It involves not being afraid. Not being afraid. Look at verse 14. Go back to First Peter. Um, verse 14, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor, uh, or be, be troubled, right? And friends, this is a huge point. Oftentimes, when, uh, suffering comes in our life, whether it's, you know, physical affliction, financial, uh, whatever it may be, right? A, a, a relational, uh, affliction, whatever it may be, whatever it's, we're going through, our natu- natural tendency is, well, it's to be afraid. And, it's to be fearful of the unknown, right? We don't know uh, uh, how things are going to work out. We don't know how, you know, what's going to happen in this area of suffering. Uh, what's 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 going to happen at the end? I don't know, right? And and what happens? We become fearful. And Peter here, he quotes from Isaiah chapter eight, verse twelve. And, and in Isaiah chapter eight, uh, if you guys remember Pastor Dwight going over it, it's dealing with King. Uh, Ahaz, right? He's the, the king of the southern region of Judah. Judah, Benjamin, that's when you call Israel the southern part of Israel. The ten northern tribes, right, on the top. What happened was the ten northern tribes, uh, they made an alliance with Syria at this point. And basically to w- wage war against um, against Judah. And when I say Judah, I mean Judah, Benjamin, but Judah. And, and Isaiah was encouraging King Ahaz just trust in the Lord, basically, um, in the context there. And not be afraid of their threats, he says. Don't be troubled because of their threats. And But King Ahaz, he didn't listen to Isaiah. Um, he ended up, what did he do? He, he solicited king uh, the king of Assyria. And he had the king of Assyria basically come down and destroy Syria, and which they actually did, right? But they kept on going from Syria. They destroyed Syria. They kept going. They destroyed, uh, they came in, messed up the ten northern tribes. But then they kept going, and, and they're like, hey, what's going on, right? King of Ahaz, Ahaz is like, wait a minute. And, and they came in, and uh, 
they basically destroyed um, Judah as well. And so Isaiah encouraged him not to be afraid of his threats. God would watch over you. He would protect you. And family, that same thing applies to you and I today. Right? The enemy is waging war against us today. The enemy is here in Appleton, guys. The enemy is at your family the, en- the enemy is your neighbors, right? It's, he's all around. He's, he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your walk with the Lord. He wants to distract you from your walk with the Lord. And we're going to experience suffering. We're going to experience affliction. We're going to experience pain in, in our lives. But you and I, we don't need to be afraid in our lives, in our walk with the Lord. King Ahaz, he turned to the world for help, but... We are to turn to the word of God for help. Amen. We're to turn to God's word. What does God's word actually say? Well, it says, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled by their threats. Uh, in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of a love and of a sound mind. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So we do not need to fear ever, right? To what, we don't fear what man can do to us because they can't really do, the best thing man could do to us is the best thing, right? Uh, for us, we're gonna enter into the kingdom of God, right? So, um, we're, we're putting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and knowing that suffering brings a blessing. Right. Thus, we do good and we realize that there's no need to be afraid during these times. You and I all know we're, we're, we're discerning uh, of the times that we live in. And we all know our, our, our liberty of coming together as a church is not going to be forever. There's going to be something happening. There's, you know, just I, I, I look back at history and I, I think it's going to repeat itself. And, and uh, they're going to play us as a Christian. They're going to say, look, what, it was the Christians that did that. They burnt Rome down, right? And and we're going to be persecuted. It's coming. And, and uh, thus, this is the time that we are to be students of God's word because we may not have Bibles on us, right? What are we going to do without our Bibles? Well, treasure it within your heart. Know God's word. Meditate on his word because the time's going to come and it's coming where we need to know God's word. And if anything today's the day, right? This is the time that we're living in, that we need to get structure of God's word in our life and and know his word. So the fourth thing involves uh, sanctifying the Lord, sanctifying the Lord in verse 15. Notice in verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. This word sanctify, it means to be set apart, to be holy, um, to be consecrated onto the Lord. In other words, you and I are to be set apart uh, onto Jesus Christ uh, in our hearts, and it carries the idea of putting him first above everyone and everything in our lives, that there's no idols above him or before him. It's just Christ Jesus, him, and that's it, right? And in the midst of suffering and trial and hardship and afflictions and these things that we're going through, um, we are to be putting Christ number one, foremost in our lives. And, and when we do that, according to verse 15, notice it says, uh, and, uh, and sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So uh, we 
will always be ready to give a defense, uh, an answer, an apologia is the word there for that word answer. And that's where we get our English word apologetics, right? And, and now we don't always have people coming up to us and they're, they're saying, teach me about Jesus, I really want to be saved. We don't, we don't see that, right? But we do see, uh, when you're going through a trial, when you're going through a heartache, when you're, you know, the boss is just like, ah, just because you're a believer, right? You're a good hard worker and you're doing things onto the Lord, but you're still getting this, you know, from your family or from whoever it is in your life. And, and, but there's those who are watching around you in the midst of that suffering and they're going to come up to you and they're going to say, man, how do you have all this joy in your life in the midst of all this suffering that you're going through? And, and that's the idea of this verse right here. Now, that's an open door, right? That's opportunity, the Bible says, to present the word of God to them. It's an opportunity to present the gospel to them. And, and people, they're watching us like crazy, right? They see that joy that you have in your life, and, and it really, it's distracting them. Uh, I heard people come up to me and they're like, I can't sleep. <laughs> you're a crazy person and I'm thinking about you, right? And they're like, and it's cool to hear that, you know, inwardly, but it's so true. It, it, they are bothered because they don't understand. They're, they're like, are you, you, you're crazy, but you got, you're not on drugs. You're not on, you know, and there's just this happiness in your life. And it's not necessarily happiness. It's just the joy that we have in the Lord, right? We're not joyful because we're going through trials. We're joyful because of the Lord in our lives, right? It, he's way above those sufferings. We don't place those things above Christ. And so obviously we're going to be joyful in the Lord. And so, um, but, you are to give a defense, an answer. That's what that word means, defense. At this moment, when they come up to you, you're to present the reason for the hope that you have. And what is the hope that you have? Colossians 1.27, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, is what the Bible says. So why do we put our hope in Jesus? Because we know that he's in complete control, right? He allows everything to happen in our lives. And he'll never give us what we can't handle. Amen? Amen. And therefore, no matter what kind of suffering we're going through at work, at home, you and I, we're living for Christ Jesus. And people are going to see it and they're going to hear, right, when you present it to them. And then they're going to desire Christ in their lives and they're going to come to the Lord. You're going to be able to share with them. By the way, I do encourage every one of you, if you're a believer in Christ, if someone comes up to you and they ask you, hey, um, you know, you, oh, I hear you go to church and you're a Christian. What's the gospel? I really, I want to know more about God. What's, tell me, what's the gospel? Are you able to present the gospel to them? And, and, uh, can you do it, uh, without, you know, yelling at them and beating them up? And I've hung out with so many different types of Christians in my life where they're like, let's go share the gospel. I'm like, yeah, let's go. And then we, we go outside and all of a sudden they pull out this huge bullhorn and they're like, Arr! they're all, you're all going to hell. And I'm like, that's what's, <laughs> I thought we're giving the gospel. You're just trying to yell at people. And I was all, how many people have come to the Lord in this entire ministry of yours? And they're like, it's not about people coming to the Lord. It's about them hearing the word. And I'm like, ah, yeah. 
Yeah, how how are you doing with uh, the whole you know disciple thing? And they're like, "Ah, we're not discipling anybody." I'm like, "Okay, yeah." And what I what I see here in this passage is it's personal. People are going to come up to you when you're going through a personal issue in your life, which is suffering, and they're going to see the realness in your life, and thus it's a personal, real conversation, a heart to heart. You're able to talk to them right personally. And communicate with them the gospel of Christ Jesus. The reason that Christ came to this world, that he died and that he rose again the third day. You can turn to John chapter 3 and just read it. That's what I do. I'm like, so there's this guy named Nicodemus, right? Let's call him Nick, right? Comes to Jesus by night. And then, and then you could just go over and be like, so you, have you ever sinned in your life? Okay, obviously the Bible says, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, Romans, uh, what is it, 6.23, uh, for the wages of um, sin is death, right? So, um, and then you can just keep going. John three sixteen is just perfect. It's all summed up right there. And what's the reason that Christ came? And he wants to have that relationship with you. And as you're speaking to them, you're just giving scripture, right? You're, and if you give your testimony, which is always a plus... Uh, don't get caught up talking in yourself. Your testimony is about Christ and how he changed you, right? So keep the focus on Christ Jesus and that he might receive the glory, right? And they're, they're not going to look at you and be like, wow, you had some awesome power and strength to change your life. You know, and they're like, no, you missed the whole thing. But give them Jesus as much as you can. In other words, give them scripture as much as you can. Because it's the scripture, it's the word of God, which is powerful. And that is enough to change a person's heart. You can't change a person's heart. Right? Amen? So continue to give the gospel at these moments. I think it's super vital uh, to present it to them. And note carefully, by the way, when you are presenting the gospel to these people, you know, you're not, you know, being crazy. It says right here, there's two things uh, about how we are to present ourselves to the Lord or these people when they when they come to us. Look at the end. It says, with meekness and fear, right? Meekness is gentle, right? That fear is that awe, that respect, that uh, uh, you're just, you're, it's respect. It's respecting onto the Lord. But uh, so you're going to give an answer to them regarding the hope that you have in Christ with gentleness and respect, Right, so yelling and throwing things at people is that respectful? Is so uh, you know I I kind of I have a bunch of friends by the way that that do that. Praise the Lord that they love the Lord and that they're believers. I thank the Lord that for their walk with the Lord. But their approach, I just I'm not going to apply it in my life. Um, I personally choose to be personal with people, and it's more impactful where where they're able to hear you and and you're able to answer questions without the scenery, right? Without any of that chaos. The cool thing is, I usually like to study at coffee shops, have my Bible out, and always it just never fails. People always. They'll just sit across you and they're like, a Bible, huh? They always say something weird like that. And it's like, yeah, it's a Bible. And I, so I have to put down what I'm doing and be like, so you read your Bible and it, you know, and then you just start the interaction and, but you're able to present the gospel during that time. And anyways, you can tell that I love the gospel, but I get distracted here. Um, so yeah, share your heart with them. Respect, uh, be, well, well, first of all, 
you are in the same place that they were. So don't, don't be like disrespectful. Uh, be gentle with them. Don't be harsh with them. Don't be like, you're going to go to hell unless you repent of your sins, right? <laughs> yes, there's truth. And, and John the Baptist was pretty impactful, you know, and cer- certain, God's blessed certain people with, with certain abilities. Um, but, but whatever it is, be gentle and be respectful. Amen. Um, so the fifth thing Peter exhorts us is a good conscience. Conscience. Uh, notice in verse 16, it says, Having a good conscience, conscience uh, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So we have a good, good conscience. Man, I was practicing that word, and I just knew it was going to come out all weird. But we have a good, that word, right? <laughs> conscious toward Christ, and, and because we have a good conduct in Christ, right? So, wait, people are going to call me an evildoer? Yes! If you're a believer, people are going to accuse you of doing evil things and doing wrong things. And they're going to come against you. They're going to speak all evil uh, manner against you. And because of your good conduct in Christ, we have a good conscience in Christ because we have a good uh, conduct, right? And we're doing what is good. We're doing what is right. Therefore, we don't have that guilty conscience where we, we can't come before the Lord. And because of your good conduct... It's, it's a good thing. We have a good standing before the Lord. And God knows, you know, whatever you're saying is true. God knows, right? So you place it and you give, you leave it in the hands of God. Even though all the people around you are like, they did it. It was them. Oh, go to jail. You're in jail. What? Lord, you know. <laughs> That's just trust in the Lord. The sixth thing Peter exhorts us regarding suffering was, well, doing good, right? Uh, being blessed, not being afraid, sanctifying the Lord, uh, a good conscience, uh, and in last it involves the will of God. Notice verse 17, for it is the, it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Wait, does this mean it's the will of God that I suffer? Yes. <laughs> yep, it sure does. Um, if, if, by the way, notice that word if, uh, it could mean if and it might be or if and it might not be so. So, it, it very well may be God's will that we are suffering for doing good. Uh, in fact, look at chapter 4, verse 19. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. And and that's the idea right there. We're committing our souls as to a faithful creator. So clearly it may be God's will for you to suffer uh, for the Lord's sake, right? And to some point in your life. In fact, in First Peter chapter 2, if you go back a little bit, um, go to chapter 2 verse 21. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Wow. Have you guys ever wondered what your calling is in life? <laughs> Peter says right here, it's to suffer. I didn't hear a big thunderous amen there, guys. <laughs> right? But that's the will of God. You're walking in the will of God when you're suffering for doing what's good and you're, you're following the Lord. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, 33, what did he say at the end there? In the world, you will have tribulation. 
Yay! Is that so exciting? You're good. It's a promise from God. You're gonna have tribulation. You will suffer. You're gonna go through tribulation in your life. So if you desire to be in the will of God, then suffering is basically a confirmation of God's will being done in your life, right? So you, when you realize you're suffering, you're going through all of this for doing good, you're, you're in the will of God. And now you'll understand what, what Paul said in Ephesians 1.11. He said uh, at the end there, um, him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He works it all to his plan and to his glory and to his will. And, and God will... His will for us is to be really stretching us, right? To bring us into maturity. In fact, he wants to break some of us in order to put us back like the potter in the clay, right? He wants to mold us and shape us and form us and, and like a diamond, right? Just keep chipping it away and you're like, ah, ooh, oh, ooh, right? But he's, he's, he's making, He's, he's creating in you something beautiful and he's, he's doing a, an amazing work in you. And so next time you guys, or even if now that you're going through suffering, remember it's God's will for your life and he's your creator and your creator knows best. He knows exactly what he's doing in your life, right? So don't think it's the end of the world and that, uh, that woe is us, you know, because we're going through this stuff. But he wants to perfect us. He wants to establish us. Just like the verse we just read in 1 Peter 5.10. But may the God of all grace, right? And I love that. It's God's grace that we need through suffering who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After you have suffered a while, no, notice it's a light affliction. It's only a momentary uh, light affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory uh, that awaits us. It, may he perfect us, establish us, strengthen and saddle you. I, I think that's so cool. Um, let's come to the second section. Uh, we looked at the exhortations regarding suffering in, in verses 13 to 17. And there were six things that we went over there, right? Now let's come to the example of Christ in sufferings. The example of Christ in sufferings uh, in verses 18 to 22. Um, and number one, it involves his death, his death. Notice in verse 18, it says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit. Now, just as believers suffered unjustly, so did Jesus Christ suffer unjustly, right? He suffered what does it say right here? Once and for all sins, right? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, uh, he did it once and for all. That word all, once and for all time. And he, uh, that speaks of the death on the cross, by the way. He did it, in fact, what did he say on the cross? To Telestai, right? It is finished. It's, it's done. It's a done deal. It was a once and for all deal. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He, he was without sin. So he was just. He was perfectly just. In fact, 1 Peter 1.19, 1 
uh, says, but with the precious blood of Christ as a, of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So he was without blemish and he was without spot. And he suffered just and perfect for you and I, who are unjust, by the way, just a side note, right? We are sinners, uh, born into sin, basically. And we are all, we're all in desperate need of a savior. And the only way we, that, we can be saved is by someone who is just and perfect, right? Someone who is without sin, and that is Jesus Christ. And notice the reason in verse 18, that he might bring us to God. I think that's powerful. I stopped there, and I was like, whoa. And and then I didn't finish the study, and I was like, oh, I got to finish. And I kept going back to it, and I was like, I can't get beyond that. That's just amazing that... Why did he come and die on the cross? Why did God, the creator of the universe, the very plan that he had before he created the universe, he came and he did it for us. And I think it just can't get over that. Why Why did he do it for us? To forgive us of our sins that we might have a right standing before him. He's going to enable us that grace because we chose by faith to, to look to him, to choose to repent of our sins. And we chose to walk by faith in him, and he forgave us. And so understand, we can't stand before God, by the way, in our own goodness, in our own merit, right? And and why? Because, while well, we're unjust, and we can't even stand before a living, just God, uh, because he's just. And according to verse 18, he, uh, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So you see, the whole point is to draw us near to God. And and in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 19 it says for the law made nothing perfect on the other hand there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God and it's speaking of Christ Jesus, right? And Jesus himself even said in John chapter 12 verse 32 and I if I am lifted up from the earth will draw all peoples to myself. And so the point to all of us is this, that Jesus Christ is, well, he's clearly our example in this area of suffering, right? And first of all, it involves his death. And you and I, we may never experience death, right, as a result of our faith in Christ Jesus. But there is many Christians today, they're, they're going to be put to death. They're going to go through a lot of suffering. They're going to go through a lot of torture, pain. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a crazy time. But... Um, it's, it's just, it's amazing. Second example of Christ in suffering is in his preaching. In his preaching. Notice in verses 19 and 20. According to verse 19, it, this is all about Jesus' preaching, right? He preached to spirits in prison. Very interesting. There's, there's no, um, well, let's just read it. It says in verse 19, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited, uh, in the, the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, uh, Noah, his wife and his sons and their wives were saved through water. Uh, and that was what some 120 years old, uh, while the ark was being prepared basically. Um, there, there's no distinction, um, Clearly, it's, it's, it's very clear here. There's no disagreement with people. In fact, that, that Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, right? He went to hell. He went to Hades. And, and there, this is where scholars, there's, a, there's something here, and I'll go over it with you guys really quick. But, 
understand that hell prior to the cross uh, was divided into two sections or two uh, compartments, if you will, right? One compartment was called paradise, and that's the good side, Abraham's bosom, right? And the other side was the bad side, the pit, right? Or the uh, uh, boat of the, de- the dead. And this is simply seen in, in Luke chapter 16. You guys all know the story, the parable of Lazarus and, and uh, the rich man. In, in the parable, the rich man and Lazarus were in the same place, but in two uh, totally different compartments, basically. And there was a great gulf between the rich man and Lazarus, where they could see each other, they could talk to each other, but they couldn't go to each other. And now when Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, where did he go? He went to paradise. And the good side, if you will, of hell, right? Remember when Jesus, uh, in Luke 23, uh, he was on the cross, he said in Luke 23, 43, he said, today you will be with me to the thief on the cross in where? Paradise. Very interesting. So clearly, when he died, he went to paradise. And his body, of course, went to the grave for three days, but his spirit, his soul, went to, um, went to hell, went to uh, Hades. And, or paradise, you can say. Um, sorry. So where is paradise? Well, it's in hell. It's in the center of the earth. According to Matthew t- chapter 12, verse 38, um, well, yeah, let's just read the whole thing. It says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights. Where? Right there at the very end, in the heart of the earth is what it says. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, it says, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended, where? Into the lower parts of the earth. Very interesting. So clearly when Christ died... Uh, his body was in the grave, but his spirit went down to paradise. And in the lower parts of the earth, we would say to Hades or to hell. And, and okay, so really no argument about that. Everybody basically agrees with that. Uh, but the real question comes at the end of verse 19. Notice at the end of verse 19, he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. And not, not only did he preach, but who were the spirits in prison? I mean, there's so many questions up there, right? There's three major views, and I'll just give it to you guys, all, all three views here tonight, in verses 19 and 20, as far as uh, who was it, it referring to right here in verses 19 and 20. The first view is that Jesus preached to the evil spirits that were in prison, According to verse 20, it talks about those who are formerly disobedient uh, prior to the flood. And so, who was disobedient prior to the flood? Well, uh, you guys remember the angels were. And it, uh, what is it? Genesis chapter 6, right? Um, the sons of God, which is a reference to the angels. And they came down, they had sexual relations with the uh, the daughters of men, and and thus there was a... 
the Nephilim, the Nephilim, I heard like different pronunciations, but the Nephilim came out of them. And, and so there was these, these, these Nephilim, these giants basically. And so these are the fallen angels who fell with Lucifer. You guys remember in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, they fell, they came, um, but these specific demons, if you will, came and had sexual relations with the women. And, and in fact, turn to Jude, go to your right to Jude before Revelation. It seems that they were locked up uh, be, uh, because of what they did, basically. Jude, look at verse 6 in Jude. It says, And the angels, these, these sons of God, who did not keep their proper domain, but they left their own abode, their habitation. He has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness. That's the bottom of this pit, the the uh, 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 the boat of the dead, right? And for the judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and as the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, and so presumably, according to this view, it's the daughters of men that it's speaking of here, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So wow, so if this first view is correct, then Jesus went to hell and he preached a message of well, basically condemnation and judgment uh, to these angels to these spirits if you will uh these fallen angels who produce they the the nephilim and proclaiming basically eternal judgments on them is the reason why he went that's the first view and i think there is there's scripture that backs that view up uh very interesting the second view is well was that jesus was preaching to believing spirits uh see when jesus died his spirit went to abraham's bosom right to paradise there he preached to uh, believers a message of, well, about the Messiah, that the Messiah would come. So he's basically presenting the gospel to them. And uh, so it's a message of confirmation. And prior to the cross, the Old Testament saints who believed in the Messiah to come, they went to Abraham's bosom, to paradise, if you will, in the Old Testament. They believed... Uh, by faith in the Messiah to come, right? He was gonna come. They're looking forward to the Messiah as we are looking back to the Messiah, uh, in history by faith. So too they had faith and they were looking forward. So Jesus preached to those believers in paradise. So confirming the gospel message that was to come according to Ephesians 4, 8, where it says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. And, and, uh, so fulfilling, um, Psalm 68, verse 18. So Jesus Christ emptied Abraham's bosom, paradise, if you will, uh, from the center of the earth, and he took them to the third heaven. That the third heaven is what Paul described in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. And so when you and I die today, we don't go to paradise, by the way, right? We go to the third heaven, and <clears throat> which is the dwelling place of God himself. And so the second view is that he was preaching basically the gospel message to the believers who were in paradise, the believers speaking of the Old Testament saints uh, who 
before the cross, right? And the third and the final view, view here is that he was preaching to non-believers. And, and the people in the Old Testament, you know, they either believed or they didn't believe. And those that didn't believe in God and his promises, well, they went to the abode the, the, uh, of the dead, right? That other part of hell. Um, and when Jesus died, uh, he went to Abraham's bosom, paradise, right? He preached the message of judgment or condemnation, if you will, uh, to them, confirming that God's promise of the Messiah was indeed true. And so that's the third view. For you and me today, I mentioned these three views uh, for an example for you and I today, um, for a reason, that in the midst of suffering, and that's our context, right? I don't want to gear away from that. Uh, that in the midst of suffering, Peter's given us an example of Christ, nonetheless, that he preached uh, a message. And, and that's good news for all of us. When we're going through suffering, we too should be preaching a message, and I think that message for you and I should obviously be a good message, right? The gospel message. And so, um, and obviously don't give just the good news, but give the bad news as well. Let them know the whole truth and nothing but the truth, right? Um, so let's go to the third example. We see in, in the suffering of Christ, it, it involves his resurrection. Notice verse 21. It says, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now again, people are divided on this. Does this antitype refer to Noah? I mean, who, who, well, he, what, he was saved in the ark which is really a picture of the Jews who were saved during the tribulation time period as well. Or is this an antitype of water baptism? And since Noah and the other seven of his family were saved through water, people are divided on this, right? So is it Noah or is it water, right? Well, I don't, I don't think the point is that. I think that the point is the resurrection, right? Since there's, there's people out there today that say, well, you know, um, it, 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 well, there, there you have it. It's water ba- baptism that saves you. And they use this verse and they take it out of context, clearly. Well, I would say, no, it doesn't. Water baptism does not save you and I, right? In fact, if you keep on reading, you got to go down a little further, right? Um, it, Peter says in verse 21, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, what that doesn't just that doesn't measure up with your doctrine there does it it's a good conscience toward uh so that we have toward god not because of water baptism notice at the end of verse 21 it's through the resurrection of jesus christ and i think the focus is lost there and it's more in the beginning and people have some weird doctrines uh because of that our good conscience toward jesus christ is really an awareness of an understanding that you and I have that we're saved as a result of our faith in Jesus Christ, right? Remember what Paul said? He told the Philippian jailer when he asked, you know, the Philippian jailer asked, you know, what should we do to be saved? And Paul said in Acts 16, verse 31, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Where's the baptism part there? 
What happened? Right? So it's about faith. And water baptism doesn't save us. Right? Water baptism is basically the byproduct. It's the result of our faith and of our salvation. It's an outward manifestation of our uh, faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ as it pertains to our good conscience toward God, uh, knowing that we're going to heaven, basically. We are established. We know what, where we're going, and thus we're being obedient to the calling that God has in our life, not to, to seal the deal or anything like that. It's not like a last part. It's not like if you, then we get baptized, and now for sure I'm going to heaven. It's just we're being obedient to what he's called us to do. So we openly profess our, our faith uh, by getting baptized. Paul likens it to the, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if water baptism was essential for salvation, don't you guys think that Jesus would have told Paul, the apostle, uh, to be baptized? You know, hey, Paul, you need to baptize people. But guess what? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. What? God didn't tell Paul to baptize? I mean, you would think this guy that God used to present his word to us today, the majority of the New Testament, a lot of it, uh, that he would call him. In fact, we uh, we can take a, a step back further. Uh, we're, we're told in John chapter 4, verse 2, though Jesus himself did not baptize. What? I mean, Jesus, our example, even he didn't baptize? Wait a minute. So now if Jesus didn't baptize anybody, and if Paul was never told to baptize anybody, then certainly water baptism is not essential for our salvation. You guys with me on that? Um, so there's a lot of people who believe you're not saved until you get baptized. And they even say, you know, unless you're a Baptist, or I mean, sorry. <laughs> When I was in New Mexico, I went to a Baptist church. I slipped it out. I might as well say it. Um, and they're like, you got to get re-baptized into our church. And I was like, wait, what? And I was like, wait, so I'm already baptized and I already, you know, before the Lord. And I did things biblically, but you want me to do things doctrinally according to your doctrine? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, oh, so, so what's the requirements? Well, you got to know about the Anabaptist. You got to know about... Um, uh, it was weird because they, they, they talked about Calvin. And I was like, wait, this is what kind of Baptist church is this? And then uh, there was like a manual, like a Baptist manual, like book that you had to go over. And then there's questions after all. Then if you pass and you're, you're, you're now you're, you're able to get baptized. And it's like, wait, what? What's seriously? And I let them know straightforward. I was like, you're wacky. <laughs> that's, that's not biblical, man. Um, so there's there's a lot of, you know, the Bible doesn't say any of that stuff. Uh, it's an outward manifestation. By the way, baptism and communion uh, are both things that we should do, right, as believers. So yes, there is, uh, uh, Peter commands us, we should, we should definitely um, be baptized for sure as a believer in Christ. Um, so anyways, before I just go on this whole thing against those people, let's keep going. The fourth and final example of Christ in suffering is his authority. And let's end with this. Verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. So that speaks of his authority. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18, he said, uh, all authority has been given to me in heaven and, and on earth. And 
Now, what's the point in his authority, in his example, in the midst of suffering? Well, remember Jesus sent out the 70 disciples. By the way, the 70 disciples, that speaks of the church, right? It speaks about you and I today. And, and, and he gave the power, them power and authority. Even the demons obeyed them and listened. And, and even in the midst of suffering, family, we have that deutimos power, that dynamite power, the Holy Spirit within our lives who causes us to have his peace, to dwell in his peace, to have his, to just, just to be reminded that he's with us, right? And if, if God is for us, like seriously, what is all this stuff that we're putting before him? It's, it's nothing compared to who God is, right? So if we have Christ in us, though, he gives us the power to be enabled to go through the suffering, right? If you're like me, I'm like, Lord, heal me right away, amen, right? Or get me out of this right now, and I don't want to go through it. But his will is that we go through it, and that we have the strength to go through it. So our prayers, our perspective on our suffering, our physical afflictions, right, that a lot of us are going through, financial, whatever it may be, all these things that are happening in our life. I know it's easily said, and it's it's hard when you're going through it. I've been through a lot of things in my life. You guys can see the wrinkles, right? And all this, this, right? I've gone through a lot of stuff, but um, we need Christ. We need to keep our focus on Christ, right? In the midst of all of that. And and we're, we're going to go through suffering, by the way. It's coming our way, but how are you going to go through it? Uh, is up to you. Are you going to go through it kicking and screaming and whining like a baby, right? Shh, calm down. <laughs> ah! Or are you going to just trust in Jesus? Are you going to know that he is in complete control? He knows exactly what he's doing. He's in full authority, and he's given you and I that authority as well, that power uh, from on high, right, that is within us. So um, he's able to do above and beyond what we can ask and what we can think. Amen? Amen. Stand up, guys. Let's, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much um, that, Lord, we can turn to you in the midst of our suffering. And I pray that we would turn to you and that you would be our example and that we would not look to the things of this world, that we would not run to man, um, that we would not trust in things around us, uh, but rather we would trust in you. I pray that you would be our confidence, that you, Father, would be um, high and lifted up in our lives, that we would rejoice uh, at all times, Lord, and that we would imitate you, that we would follow close behind you, Lord, that we would uh, serve those around us, that we would honor you and the things that you called us to, that we would walk in your will uh, even if it means going through suffering and going through uh, the hardship in our lives, help us to bring glory to your name, Father, by granting us, grant us your grace. We can't do anything apart from your grace. And so we rely, we depend on you, and we trust in you. We're nothing without you. And so I ask that you would do a work in and through our lives. Bring us through uh, trials, Father. Bring us through the sufferings that we need to go through, that we as a church might be a mature church, that we might bring uh, that joy to your heart, Father. And I just ask that you would uh, grant us that discerning uh, hearts as well, Lord, that we might discern uh, from what your word says compared to what others say as uh, to us. And uh, just love you, Lord. Thank you so much for your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives. And uh, once again, thank you for our pastor, Continue to be with him and and, uh, 
and just pray that you would use us, Lord, uh, this week. In Jesus' name, amen.